Eddie Mayer on LBC. It's Friday. It's a quarter to five. It's Simon Marks's American Week. Eddie, it's been such a busy week on both sides of the Atlantic that it's almost easy to forget that this time last week, America's president had not yet engaged in a fist bump with Saudi Arabia's murderous princeling. But since our task on American Week is to chronicle seven full days of events, let's spin back to the moment when Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia put his orchestration of the murder and dismemberment of Saudi-American journalist Jamal Khashoggi behind him and did so with a smile on his face knowing that he had President Biden exactly where he wanted him. Jamal Khashoggi, will you apologize to his family, sir? Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Those questions shouted at the president and the crown prince during their first meeting in Jeddah elicited not a word from either of them, though the crown prince smirked as they were shouted and then turned his security men on NBC's White House correspondent Peter Alexander. After the meeting was over, President Biden, who used to claim that he would treat Saudi Arabia as a pariah, insisted he hadn't forgotten the slain journalist. I raised it at the top of the meeting, making it clear what I thought of it at the time and what I think of it now. And it was exactly, I was straightforward and direct in discussing it. I said very straightforwardly, for an American president to be silent on an issue of human rights, is this consistent with, inconsistent with who we are and who I am? I'll always stand up for our values. The president claimed that when the crown prince denied responsibility for the murder, he pushed back and told him that he didn't believe him. Saudi officials contest that, but the White House stuck by the president's telling of the story. Whatever happened behind closed Saudi doors, back in Washington, there was disbelief and fury over the president's willingness, driven, of course, by his desperate need for additional oil supplies, to re-engage with Riyadh. Uh, I don't think that that type of government should be rewarded uh, with a visit by the President of the United States. Senator Bernie Sanders, the socialist gadfly from Vermont, tearing into President Biden on ABC. Look, you got a family that is worth a hundred billion dollars, which crushes democracy, which treats women as third-class citizens, which murders and imprisons its opponents. And if this country believes in anything, we believe in human rights, we believe in democracy. And I just don't believe that we should be uh, maintaining a, a warm relationship with a dictatorship uh, like that. The president could not escape continuing questions about the fist bump when he returned to the White House. After a long flight home from Saudi Arabia, he expressed irritation when this question was asked. Do you regret the fist bump, Mr. President? Why don't you guys talk about something matters? Why don't you guys talk about something that matters, he groused, breathing yet more life into the story. On Monday, reporters wanted to know if the president really didn't think his seeming removal of Saudi Arabia from the naughty step mattered and there was this extraordinary exchange between CNN anchor Jake Tapper and Democrat Senator Chris Coons of Connecticut a close ally of the president he flew to Saudi Arabia and he fist bumped Mohammed bin Salman the man responsible according to Biden's own director of national intelligence for ordering a brutal murder of a Washington Post journalist killing him and then dismembering him with a bone saw I mean that fist bump photograph, I think a lot of Americans saw that and were revolted by it. Absolutely. The killing of Jamal Khashoggi was horrifying. 
I would rather not be on this show saying that our president went and met with MBS. But given the situation we're in in the world today, given what we all know about the ongoing murders, the brutal killing of innocent civilians happening every single day in Ukraine, I support our president. We'll leave the last word on this with Jamal Khashoggi's fiance. You may recall he was murdered in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul as he tried to secure a wedding license so that she could marry him. She tweeted a picture of the presidential fist bump and asserted that the blood of the kingdom's future victims will be on Joe Biden's hands. Now, while you were all sweltering in Britain and Googling homemade air conditioning, over here, more than 100 million Americans spent their week living under a heat advisory and days after one of his fellow democrats doomed the president's climate change legislation on capitol hill joe biden hit the road vowing to do something about it in somerset massachusetts he stood on the grounds of an out of commission coal plant and tried to convey that all those promises he made at cop 26 in glasgow last year still have a little bit of life left in them not a single republican in congress stepped up to support my climate plan. So let me be clear, climate change is an emergency. And in the coming weeks, I'm gonna use the power I have as president to turn these words into formal, official government actions through the appropriate proclamations, executive orders, and regulatory power that the president possesses. Now, the language that he used there was very careful. Climate change, he said, is an emergency, but he did not go ahead and declare the state of emergency over global warming that earlier in the week White House officials had telegraphed. The difference is not only semantic. If he declares an official state of emergency, he can tap into all sorts of funding and issue directives that currently are unavailable to him. But he says he's still exploring the idea. So what Joe Biden was really doing in New England on Wednesday was creating the illusion of movement rather than actual movement itself. 90 communities across America set records for high temperatures just this year, including here in New England as we speak. Records have been set in the Arctic and the Antarctic. Temperatures that are just unbelievable. Melting the permafrost. It's, it's, it's astounding the damage is being done. But as with other issues, the president flourishes the idea of signing executive orders that are no more effective in solving the nation's problems than they were when Donald Trump used to do it. We've seen similar moves taken in the last few weeks on abortion rights. As with climate change, he's facing down the fury of younger grassroots activists who fault his White House for under-delivering. The website Politico this week reported growing frustration inside the White House with the president's slow, deliberative, discursive method of making decisions. He continues to leave questions hanging on a host of other issues, including whether he's going to lift Trump-era tariffs in place against China or forgive student debt, a massive issue in America, especially among younger voters. But yesterday, there was a sudden change in the presidential storyline. We do have breaking news uh, to bring to you. They are announcing that uh, President Joe Biden has indeed tested positive uh, for COVID-19. Uh, as we well know, it's been reported he's fully vaccinated. He's been twice boosted. He is experiencing uh, mild symptoms. Now, the surprise concerning that news is that it didn't happen earlier. As we've charted over the last year, the Biden White House has been almost 
almost as irresponsible as its predecessor in telling Americans that the pandemic is over when it isn't. Thanks to the BA5 variant and the refusal of millions of Americans to get vaccinated, COVID-19 is still claiming more than 430 lives a day here. That's more than 3,000 a week. One Seattle-based virologist is now projecting that every year going forward, 50% of Americans will contract COVID-19 and 100,000 of them will die. Yesterday, it was notable that First Lady Jill Biden suddenly found her face mask. We've not seen that deployed for quite a while. My husband tested positive for COVID. I talked to him just a few minutes ago. He's doing fine. He's feeling good. Uh, I tested negative this morning. I am going to keep my schedule. I am, according to CDC guidelines, I am keeping masks. Although the mask she was wearing was not one of those recommended for use by the CDC. As for the president, we'll get daily updates on his status. He's America's second president to catch COVID-19 and America's oldest president to date, with all the potential complications that entails. But yesterday, he seemed to be in good form. In a video filmed from the Truman balcony of the White House. Officials insist the cameraman was masked, even though the president was not. Hey folks, guess you heard, this morning I tested positive for COVID. But I've been double vaccinated, double boosted, symptoms are mild, and, uh, and I really appreciate your inquiry and your concerns. But I'm doing well, I'm getting a lot of work done, I'm going to continue to get it done, and, uh, and in the meantime, thanks for your concern and keep the faith. It's going to be okay. While the nation waits for the current president to return to work in the Oval Office, last night, fresh efforts were being made on Capitol Hill to ensure that his predecessor never gets that opportunity. The House of Representatives Select Committee, digging into the deadly uprising by Trump supporters on Capitol Hill last year, held its second primetime hearing, nearly three hours of it. The major television networks, apart, of course, from Fox News, cancelled regular programming to be it into American living rooms. And the chairman of the committee, Congressman Benny Thompson, a Democrat from Mississippi, went further than ever before in making it clear that the panel believes Donald Trump should be facing criminal charges. He commanded the mob to go to the Capitol and he emphatically commanded the heavily armed mob to fight like hell. Our democracy withstood the attack on January 6th. If there's no accountability for January 6th for every part of this scheme, I fear that we will not overcome the ongoing threat to our democracy. There must be stiff consequences for those responsible. Backing up those words last night, astonishing radio traffic by members of the Secret Service protecting Vice President Mike Pence from a mob threatening to kill him. Remember, the Vice President was there that day to certify Joe Biden's election victory. The crowd had been told entirely falsely by President Trump that Pence had the power to overturn it. Sheltering in a third-floor room of the Capitol complex, the vice president's security detail panicked over their narrowing options to protect him. If we lose uh, any more time, we may have we may lose the ability to to leave. So if we're going to leave, we need to go in the house. They gained access to the second floor. They are on the second floor, moving in now. We may want to consider getting out and leaving now. Copy. There's six officers between us and the people that are five to ten feet away from me. Stand by. I'm going down to evaluate. Go ahead. 
we have a clear shot if we move quickly. There is smoke unknown. What kind of smoke it is? Copy. Clear. We're coming out now. All right. Make a way. And thus the vice president was scuttled to safety in the nick of time. He spent the next few hours calling the Pentagon, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and other top officials in a bid to convey resources to Capitol Hill to break the siege. At the White House, Donald Trump was watching television. For more than three hours, he watched the violence underway and did nothing, despite the intervention of top staff members and his own family. When they finally got him to record a video urging the crowd to go home, the president told demonstrators that he loved them. Testifying last night, Trump's former deputy press secretary, Sarah Matthews. He told the people who we had just watched storm our nation's capital with the intent on overthrowing our democracy, violently attack police officers, and chant heinous things like, hang Mike Pence. We love you, you're very special. And as a spokesperson for him, I knew that I would be asked to defend that. And to me, his refusal to act and call off the mob that day, and his refusal to condemn the violence, was indefensible. She resigned later that night. You do not represent our movement, and if you broke the law, you can't say that. I'm not gonna, you, I already said you will pay. The most damning evidence came from Donald Trump's own lips. On January the 7th, 24 hours after the deadly riot, he recorded an address to the nation in which he finally, grudgingly conceded that Joe Biden was the president-elect. Outtakes from that recording show the depths of the president's refusal to accept reality. I'll do this. I'm going to do this. Let's go. But this election is now over. Congress has certified the results. I don't want to say the election's over. I just want to say Congress has certified the results without saying the election's over, okay? Even now, he continues to claim that he won the 2020 election. Where is all this going? We're still not sure. The Department of Justice is conducting a parallel, separate investigation. Some indications suggest Attorney General Merrick Garland does not believe criminal charges can be brought during an election campaign, which may lead Donald Trump to conclude that the sooner he fires the starting pistol on his next presidential bid, the better. And then there's Joe Biden, isolating with COVID-19 in the White House and increasingly rejected by the American people. A new survey this week showed his approval rating down to 31%. That's the lowest at this stage of any presidency since modern polling began back in the 1950s. That decade gave rise to a variety of new stars in America, including Chubby Checker, who wowed youngsters with the twist and sang about the limbo. For Joe Biden, Eddie, this American week ends with an unresolved question about the president's plunging numbers. How low can you go? LBC, I'm Eddie Mayer.